I think you should start this off, given your recent troubles. Yeah, okay then. So for, for listener context, we are starting our recording a little bit late um, because I was doing, uh, I was deploying some stuff. Um, what, what does deploying mean? Well, taking you know, code that I've been working on locally and then turning that into code on the internet that people can, can interact with. Ah, can we interact with it? You can, but I'm going to say no because it's a, an internal tool at the moment, so you won't be able to actually log in and do anything with it. Ah, <laughs> you can okay. just get thrown out, thrown out of the, the login screen. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, so this is something that I had never heard of before I started my job and is what, now de- what, deploying <laughs> no not deploying um this question this week's question um and is something that i am now deeply familiar with <laughs> for better or for worse uh so my question this week tom is what is a build pipeline it sounded like there are already some battle scars there and some weary developeriness in your voice Yes, there are some things that I find a little bit irritating about it, and but I also see why it's quite a necessary thing. It's something that I heard people talk about, and I think it's related to kind of CI, isn't it? Um, which stands for continuous integration. Yeah, there's a, right? yeah, there's a lot of acronyms and buzzwords <laughs> on here, but then I'm I'm all in favour of jargon because it's you know it's precise language. But before we get into the, the details then of what build pipelines are, the, tell me a story of how because you've made made things you've had side projects you've put things on the internet how did you go from code you were writing to code that worked on the internet previously um, do you mean my like my my website sort of yeah things? so like your blog or the um that rugby thing rugby graph that you did oh yeah so okay so i went to my server and i'm trying to think well you when you when you were writing that code you were writing and then sort of looking at the page to see that it had worked where was that oh, code? See, yeah. Where was that code living? Were you working locally on your own machine? So that code was living on my machine. Yes, it was. The files were on my machine in front of me. They were not on the internet anywhere. So there was no way that I, being an external person on another computer across the internet, could have got that code and used that application that you'd built. There's actually a really handy tool called Ngrok. But <laughs> Don't <laughs> talk to me about Ngrok. Oh, Ngrok, so frustrating. Why? Some people I've worked with, maybe at the current place, maybe other places, use Ngrok, and it makes debugging and like like remote stuff. I find it a real pain. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd use it for anything like that. No, I just no. it's it's kind of a an enterprisey thing that's enforced upon them and makes life harder for everybody. Mm. <laughs> In my experience, but I'm sure there yeah. are people who use it properly. But yeah, Ngrok is just a way of getting mm-hmm. your files onto the internet somewhere very quickly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You just kind of ngrok and then your local host. And that essentially pumps it out to a weird web address yes. which other people can look at. But then if you're then interacting with an API that needs like auth based on your domain and stuff that's kind of locked down to like verified URLs, that becomes a real, a real faff. Yeah, I think I've shown, I've done one for you when I was working on my blog. Uh, so you could look at it. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think I'd do anything much more. And that's exactly what it's for. And also for like cross-browser testing, uh, cross-device testing. So if you want to look at it on your phone, you can't obviously like compile your code on your phone and look at it there. But you can, like Ngrok or I think Browser Sync does the same kind of thing. Hmm. Gives you a temporary URL that you can access. But anyway, that would dig- we digress massively. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can use Ngrok. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So you, you are in the perfect isolation of your computer writing code, but then you want to put that code on the internet. What did you do previously? Yes. Well, everything works perfectly on my machine. 
and then I would go to a server. I would actually, I'd probably put it on GitHub so that it's accessible somewhere. And then I would pull it to my server and then use something like Apache or some of the other things we've talked about in the past to pump it out to the internet. So the process like, of uh, getting the f files onto your server, your remote, like sh secure shelling into your server, and then you're running git pull from a repository or git clone. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That's what I do. All right, so that's already that's already the baby steps in towards a build pipeline. Because back in the day, in the depths of time, I don't know if you've got like a mystical sound effect you could play, um, but like when I first started, like my first websites were, I don't know, I would FTP into a server and literally drag and drop a file across. I I didn't know that was a thing. I, I, yeah. Is that similar to SCP? Secure copy? Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's. Yeah, there's no terminal involved. I, I used to I used to, I used an FTP client. I used FileZilla or oh. Cyber CyberDuck. I think was the one I used the most. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. definitely aware of FTP. I've just never actually used it. Yeah, <laughs> it's what people used to do before we had build pipelines and CI. It was like if you made a you, there was no roll. You couldn't roll back anything. You couldn't. No, oh, there was no oh, flying by the seat of your pants. If you would, particularly with like. PHP sites, <laughs> just go, oh, that thing's not working, not working. I'll make a change. I'll push that file up to the website and see if it fixes it. Mm. And you wouldn't even be pushing. Like, you'd literally be copying. And it was gross. It's a really, really horrible way to work, rife with opportunities for things to go horribly, horribly wrong. Um, and basically, you're you're working on the live instance of a site. It's how that works. And that's just just terrible. You should never but do you, that. You know exactly what you're putting on there. It's really simple. You, like you say, just drag it and drop it. It's like you're right there. Anything you do is immediately going to be shown up there. Surely that's a great thing. Yes, until you get to something more complex than just a blog. You're actually, you know, you're, this is a business's website here that you're managing. Um, and the slightest, like, wrong semicolon somewhere, because, of course, if you're FTPing live stuff into a, onto your server, you're probably not, like, running it through any linting or... You probably don't have tests and things. So the code that you write is probably going to be bad. And if it is bad, it will break catastrophically on the live server. And where there's potential to munge all the customer data you've got, oh, there's just the, the scope of things that can go horribly wrong. So it's like you're saying people don't fully test their code before they deploy things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Who would do that? No one. No, no, one, should, no one should. But, uh, yeah. But that, that gets into the, the topic of today, which is build pipelines, which is a better way, essentially. And you've already touched on the start of it by talking about like, using Git. Like, using Git in the first place is a massive like step forward from just randomly throwing random files up because you never know like the stuff that's on there might be different to what you've changed and you get conflicts of the different types of files. Whereas if you're just pulling or pushing a, a Git repository onto your server, you then have a, essentially a paper trail of, of all the files that have changed and when, and you can roll back to any particular given point and you can instantly change and you know all your files are in sync. So just to make it really clear, a build pipeline is the way you get your code from your local machine safely onto the internet or built in a soft piece of software that people can use. Is that right? Yeah, it's wider than that, though. I think it's it's a loose term. I wouldn't. It's not like CI or um, continuous deployment or anything like that. It's... Um, it's a bit looser, and build pipeline also includes like compiling your assets, like the stuff that, like it's everything from the moment you hit save on a file to it being live on the website or wherever 
stuff so you could have um so for instance on projects i'm running on like my css gets i write in sass and it gets pre-compiled i also write in es i suppose what's the what's the most recent es es 2020 i guess it's probably coming up but essentially the, the important one is is es6 and above javascript which needs compiling or transpiling rather to work on um older browsers um, they're becoming less of a problem now but still if you're doing production code it's probably best to transpile and then gives you access to cutting edge features, etc. Um, so my JavaScript gets compiled and bundled down and um, essentially minified so that it's, the assets are smaller. Um, and same happens for images. Images get kind of processed and there's a whole load of stuff that happens between me doing my, like, oh, yeah, I am writing code in a like a simplistic way as possible and just playing with files and stuff. I'm not making, the stuff that I make is not production ready, but it goes into my build pipeline. The asset managers deal with that, turn that into production-ready code. So they do all the tedious stuff that you would probably have had to do by hand in the past to make sure that everything worked properly. Yes, and probably stuff that you wouldn't have bothered doing by hand because the gains are marginal. But you can, but when you start piling that all together into an asset pipeline, you can go through and strip all the spaces and unnecessarily unnecessary comments out of a file because it's not going to be human, not going to be read by humans anymore. It's going to be read by computers, and you want it to be as smaller file as you can so why not hmm. yeah okay so the beginning of a build pipeline would are we saying is using version control perhaps like that's where kind of everything starts off can you can you have a build pipeline without version control no i think it's it's often the kind of core of how it comes together so that's like the process of like if i suppose if we break it down into like asset management and then deployment like the two different stages of that the deployment side of it is kind of almost entirely dependent on on having some kind of version control because you are pushing up a new version of your code to your server. And I suppose we'll talk through the, the life cycle of it. So we've covered like loosely the asset stuff that happens. Like so when I hit save on my file, my awful, horrible JavaScript gets linted and night and, and like prettified and turned into production ready JavaScript. Um, there's a little script running that does that. Um, and the stuff that it creates is what we call the, well, I don't know if there's a proper name for them, but essentially production-ready assets. So I save a file, but actually my file will live in like a directory that could be called you know, Tom's Magical Code, slash the name of the files. <laughs> it runs in there. I hit save, and then in another folder called Build or Assets or Production or something, Build is, the, build is what I use mostly, um, inside of that, folder will the production ready assets will be deposited there by my asset pipeline yeah we i do something similar at my work so i'll be working on the code well we have the code in a github repository essentially and then we kind of all work off that so i'll have a local copy of that github repository on my machine i'll be working on that doing some stuff and then uh, because I'm now using C++, I have to compile, and my compile time is like 10 minutes, so <laughs> there's a lot of sitting around. <laughs> um, so I do, we use something called CMake, so I like I have to, like you're saying, essentially, you have to compile the code, but I think this is actually being compiled. Is JavaScript a compiled language? JavaScript is a compiled at runtime language, so the browser will compile it when it runs yeah. it but the transpilation aspect of it is very similar to compiling is that taking code that you've written turning it into code that the machine can read yeah so I, I i type make in some of the terminal and then it kind of pumps it into like you say a build folder where the actual stuff the bits that run the actual program work you could just take that build folder 
away from everything else and the programs would run um, just with that build folder. Yes, quite right. But you couldn't go into that build folder and start making changes and it be part of, like... Okay. I'm assuming your build, uh, your build folders aren't put in Git. No, no, they're not. So, yeah, so that's an important distinction as well, is that Git is for saving the things that you change and the things that you work on. Mm-hmm. Anything that's automatically compiled as a result of that doesn't need to be in Git, but it does mean then if you're using Git to push to a server, the server only has your files. It doesn't have the built, like the the compiled production-ready stuff. So the server then needs to run scripts hmm. to build those files. And then that's where you put in a step where you go and run to the server and it will try and, or you run to your deployment environment. Maybe you have like a step in between, you're using Jenkins or Travis or something in in that step, which will take your take your repo, build the assets, and then maybe run your test suite and check that everything passes. And if assets will bundle nicely, if the tests pass, then it will copy it to the server. So that's where we kind of get into the sense of a pipeline, that we're going from sort of one task to another and, and making sure that everything is caught when it should be. Hmm. So I, essentially, I, t- I take my code, I throw it up onto the server, essentially to GitHub. Um, you could think of it as then this thing called Jenkins is just like a website that deals with all this stuff, kind of goes goes into GitHub, takes that, and then runs tests on it, runs well, does the compiling, runs that essentially opens a terminal and types in make and then has its own build folder and then that bit's done and it kind of pushes the actual compiled code to the next stage yeah is that a good summary that's an excellent summary yeah when you're running when you're configuring something like jenkins or travis you are basically you send it a file that is just a list of the commands you want it to run Hmm. Um, and if any of those break then that process will trigger an error and jenkins or travis or whoever will say (laughs) will say "Uh -uh." Sorry, that code's no good. We can't push that to the server. Hmm. Where did they get these names from? Who is Jenkins? Who is Travis? There'll be a Chad next. <laughs> Chad, but, the new CI pipeline. Oh, I don't know. It will exist if it doesn't already. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember the names of the other ones. There's uh, like Circle CI, and there's a whole. There's a whole, it's it's a niche of applications and services that exist. Team uh, City is one. I don't know that one, but that's by JetBrains. And that's also that's it's a CI and CD server. They, uh, JetBrains do PyCharm, don't they? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And they also do PHP Storm, which was great for editing PHP stuff. Yeah, they do loads of stuff. Yeah. IntelliJ, uh, ReSharper. Their tools are very good, and they, I think that most of them have definitely a community version, which is free. That would probably be my IDE of choice for Python stuff. PyCharm. That's an aside. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Destructor Team, strikes Team again. City is what I was talking about. Uh, which is, I think, is just like this: Jenkins and Travis, etc. Except, I think you just run that one yourself on like on your own machine. So you might have like a build machine at work. We have our own machines where we can kind of send stuff to do the heavy lifting of the compiling, and then we have to do it on like our little laptops. Yeah, sensible. So that's kind of the intermediate stage of the pipeline, and then that gets you out into actually copying those files to a server where they will work. And yeah. maybe run a database migration if need be and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. I've got my compiled files. And now I guess this is the deployment bit where they have to be put somewhere that people can access them. Mm-hmm. But the point being, really, that all of this, the reason we call it the pipeline and the reason it's useful is that it's automated. We just run maybe one command, either push to a set. I mean, a lot of our stuff is triggered so that we merge to a certain branch. Generally, it's master. Um, and when you merge to that particular branch, the... Um, CI pipeline gets triggered 
and all the stuff starts happening in the background automatically. And if everything passes, ta-da, it goes to the, it gets deployed. Hmm. So I guess a really good thing about this is when you are working on something and you want to get it deployed, you can think, right, now I'm going to, I've done my, uh, I've worked my code, I'm going to push it up. And you don't, you then don't need to worry about it other than it, like a message coming back saying it's failed. You can just leave it and you know that if it's passed, that's good code and well it might not be good code but it's it's code that passed the tests and gets onto the server and everything without dramatically breaking everything you would hope and it's probably worth noting that all these tests and things are written by human beings aren't they oh yeah Uh, Yeah. you have to write essentially write your own tests for it but you only have to write them once and then they automatically get run yeah if you've got bad if you've got bad tests it's not going to help you but it's a good like extra bit of security and safety when you're making deployments i mean obviously you still have to be you still have to know how to do your job before you get to that stage (laughs) but it is yeah it's that last step in the process Mm. and for i guess for someone learning to code it's not necessarily something you need to worry about um it's just it's it's, these are words that popped up a lot i feel like you disagree (laughs) i don't know i think you need to get around it at some point my i was Pulling a face. I'm not necessarily disagreeing. I was pulling a face because, particularly when you're getting started, it's a whole load of other things that you have to learn that aren't coding. Mm. It is kind of coding because you're configuring and stuff, but it's not like writing JavaScript and it becoming a JavaScript application. It's like ancillary to that. It's extra. So you can spend ages. I mean, I certainly have have done it myself and I've also sat next to junior developers who are going through the thing of it they've got a brand new machine npm install your project and even just installing the dependencies doesn't work because computers exist yep. and are horrible um so it's adding a whole load of steps between like quite quite often like it doesn't happen so much now because most people are, are pretty modern but you would like come across a freelancer or you'd hire someone new back in the day and they would be used to the FTP way of doing things, which is really, really easy. So you just go to the server. You make. You could even, live on the server, change the file that you want to change. <laughs> Job done. Get out. Bug fixed. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, whereas to do things, you know, quote, unquote, properly is a lot more steps. They have to then learn things. They have to know what know all the bits of the build pipeline, and they have to know what triggers it. They have to be aware of scripts, which is not you – know, it's a big ask – to someone who's never done it before, to get their head around it. it. It took me a while to get used to it, and it was only after a few weeks of doing it every day that I kind of uh, that I got used to it. I made a lot of mistakes and got annoyed a lot. But, yeah, it's, it's worth it in the end. Hmm. But I think it's useful going into a job, knowing what they are and what the terms mean. And if someone says, oh, here's our CI pipeline, you're not just like, oh, what's a CI pipeline? You've got some background of mm. what that actually means, the continuous integration of like put get, getting your code out there. Um, yeah, so I think it's definitely worth understanding, but not necessarily you don't have to suddenly spin up your own Jenkins instance and and do all your code through that. I don't think that's, that's a necessary step, unless that's something you're really interested in and you start doing it and you love it and you want to become an infrastructure engineer. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There, it is a job in itself, kind of DevOps yeah uh system engineering is there's a reason people specialize and get good at doing that because it's actually pretty hard and a lot of people aren't very good at doing it it's one thing to use a build pipeline it's a whole other to build one yourself and put it together mm. and we were even talking about this sort of thing a couple of weeks ago when we talked about building a blog um we use netlify with our uh, 
a question of code.com website and that kind of that does tests that's essentially a build pipeline isn't it it's part of that yeah oh yeah so like if i want to run my pelican site i think i was talking about this my blog is created with the python uh python framework called pelican which kind of makes all the files for me I, on my machine if i want to make that website i have to type pelican into the terminal yeah there's a build process for that yeah yeah but before I do that, I also need to pip install Python requirements um, so that the Pe- that, so that Pelican actually works. So I don't want to have to do that every single time um, and then push those files up. What I can do is, or Netlify does for you, is it will run those steps for you. It will make sure that everything's installed and then it will make that code and then it will just put the code that's necessary up onto the server. So, And that's just really... I find I've, I've since we last talked, I have had a play with Netlify and I, I really liked it. It's seems like a really simple way of getting code out there that requires a couple of steps in between. Yeah, and I think the big, the reason Netlify is getting so much traction at the moment is that it's it's just so easy. They they've thought put a lot of thought and effort into the process of taking out the pain points which mostly you do come across in in, in this kind of environment. I don't think I've ever I mean I worked with loads and loads of build pipelines by this point, loads of CI setups and lots of different scenarios at different places. I like to think I'm pretty good at sorting it out and navigating it, but you know, I still come across problems I've never come across before. <laughs> like the, yeah. the depth of new things that can go wrong is is there. There's a lot of stuff that can break. And also onboarding to a new if I moved to a new job or a new company, I'd have to learn their way of doing things. It's not always straightforward and simple. And I don't know that anyone joining any of the places that I've worked in the past has not had that same period of like, even if it's just like an afternoon of like oh, okay like you can t- you can generally like the more senior people get the better they get at dealing with this kind of thing but it's a big part of the job is knowing like how to get your code into production and it's not always a very simple easy step yeah and i always get a bit nervous when things like netlify they're so good but they're also free so i i, I get a bit worried about that <laughs> yeah it's magic it's magic and it could go oh, yeah. away at any time Ooh. yeah or they'll start charging <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I think a lot of a lot of these kind of services have taken the view that it's free for small personal things, and then when you use it at any kind of scale, you have like if you're using it as a key part of your business, pay for it like it's a key part of your business. Yeah, that's def- it's always worth paying for those things as a business because um, I suppose you get a lot more support, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. And you might be like uh, the, the place where you work, where you reach a certain scale and a certain maturity, and you want to have complete ownership of all that stuff. So you literally run those machines yourself that are doing yeah. that job. Um, yeah, you just essentially download the software and then you're running it. Yeah. Hmm. But then the, the, the setup costs for that are higher. The skills needed to do that are more intense and less easy to come by. So yeah, there's reasons that these services exist and are so popular. Hmm. But yeah, you've kind of changed my mind. For a personal project or something, I think using something like Netlify just to dip your feet in is so easy. But there is a little bit of a setup but cost compa- to that. Yeah. <laughs> but com- compare that to all the faff you had, like logging into a DigitalOcean or Media Temple or whatever it was you were using, and doing the Apache configurations yourself and setting all that kind of stuff up for just a little project. Like you, if you're doing a little fun side project, it's very very easy to spend more than half your time on configuration and like just logistics and DevOps. But it is so useful to have done that when you when you finally get a job. It's useful to have that to fall back on, and I, I, I can't, I can't recommend people not do it. I think oh, you should. No, yeah. I think you should feel that pain <laughs> yes. first. Do it first, 
and then um, and then you can go and use Netlify or whatever. But I feel like you should go through that pain just so that you get that knowledge and you understand like the core principles and you understand how much time you're actually saving by using something like that. That's exactly right. You will appreciate the tools. The, the, you will appreciate the good tools so much more when you've had to do everything yourself. And like I said, I think you will be better at using those tools if you understand it, if you've done it before. So you're not just throwing something into a magic box that does everything for you without having any concept of how it's doing it you have an awareness of what the steps are so when things do go wrong as they inevitably will you can be like oh that happened at that that at that point it was running my test suite on the server so i can actually go to that place and look at the logs and see where the tests failed and which might not necessarily be immediately obvious if you didn't have like some kind of base level of understanding of what that process was hmm. so i wonder if you could clear something up for me i i i think i understand what continuous integration is is that what we're talking essentially what we're talking about build pipelines you push it up and then it goes through the system and deploys what is cd and not cd rom but what is cd because you hear ci cd like in the set uh, together quite a lot yeah <laughs> you're right <laughs> yeah it's something i would i have to google it every single time it's like arguments and parameters like i know that one is like when you call a function you pass in either an argument or a parameter. And then when you're writing that function, the thing that you get is either the argument or the parameter. I can never remember off the top of my head which way they're around, which way they are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm remembering this right, continuous integration is like the building of stuff. So running the tests and doing all that kind of like pre, pre-deployment work. Whereas CD is continuous delivery or continuous deployment, some people call it. And that's like, uh, I, th- I think I'm never sure if it's the code gets pushed automatically or you then trigger it. Um, Can I read something from continuousdelivery.com? Oh, please do. Tell, enlighten me. Continuous delivery is the ability to get changes of all types, including new features, con- configuration changes, bug fixes, and experiments into production or into the hands of users safely, quickly, and in a sustainable way. And then, yeah. So I think maybe this is the second half of the build pipeline. Like the first half is... Oh, I don't know. They're very similar, aren't they? <laughs> mm. And I've, worked, I've, I've, I've dealt with teams where they will do CI but not CD. And I, I don't know how much it matters if you're not a DevOps person. <laughs> this is going to make terrible podcasters, us Googling things, like stuff that we're supposed to, you know, supposed to know, deal with permanently. Right, Stack Overflow. This is, <laughs> this is what being a developer is like. Here we go. Here we go. This is a Give perfect example. <laughs> we're just Googling until we find a Stack Overflow answer. Continuous integration... Developers' working copies are synchronized with a shared mainline several times a day. So I think continuing integration is essentially using Git <laughs> and like saving it onto Jenkins or something. Continuous delivery, always be able to put a product into production. So you can always take that code and put it into production. So master is, master is always ready to deploy. Essentially, yeah. So that's continuous delivery. Continuous deployment automatically deploy the product into production whenever it passes quality assurance. So maybe the deployment part is where, they, where it runs all the tests, etc. Delivery is having your code somewhere where it can get pushed up. And integration is making sure that the code on your machine is linked with the like that main branch. Yeah, it makes that all makes sense. I, it, it all comes on when I think of CI, I think of all of that together, which is why I think I probably get confused. Mm-hmm. So maybe... I think you what you found there sounds sounds accurate, but maybe we, if our listeners know better, if there's any DevOps people listening that want to correct us, please tell us the truth. 
um, and why that why the distinction matters. <laughs> there is also a, a, a much longer, a much longer answer as there always is on Stack Overflow. But as I've always said, it's the th- third answer down. That's the one you want. Yeah, that's that, that wise advice. It's it's, not, it's very rarely the first thing that comes up. So that's so if you hear someone talk about a CI CD pipeline. Uh, I, that's, that, that's the whole process we've been describing, really, isn't it? It's taking your code from your local machine, popping it up somewhere onto a server, getting checks to run, getting it to make all the necessary files, and then pushing that out onto the web or building the software so that you can run it at the end of it. Yeah, and the, the key part of all of that being that it's automated. Um, yeah, I think that's why I why I use a fuzzy thing, a fuzzy phrase like build pipeline, mm. um, despite my protestations that precise language is important. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could just refer to the whole thing as one 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 step. It's your deployment workflow. <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is work with the code on your machine. You push it up. Whoa, there it goes. Up into the air, into the cloud. And then Someone everything else, else <laughs> everything else is taken care of for you. Makes your life easy, doesn't it? It does. If you know how to use it and that it all works, it does make your life easy. Negatives. <laughs> I've got a few. <laughs> well, we've kind of touched on, like, it's the learning curve. It's just massively bigger than maybe you would want it to be yeah if you're setting it up yourself that's going to add a lot of time and cost and if you are coming into a new project and you don't understand how it works that's again going to be a lot of your time working out how to use it also there's I'd, maybe this is just our one but my one will fail on like if i've not got a space in the right place for example, that will fail the build pipeline. Um, so then I have to go back to my machine, change it, and then push it back up again and restart the whole process. Do you have a linter um, that runs on when you're doing stuff? Like when you hit yes, save? Yes, but uh, there's like there's a few of our tests that kind of break the linter's rules. So it's uh, yeah. anyway. <laughs> that's no, probably just our particular one. But. No, but I do that. I think that pain is universal. I think it's not necessarily a problem with the pipeline it's a problem with me the expect no the expectations between <laughs> the level of precision that a developer wants and the level of precision that their manager wants in the code and like who was set up like senior developers generally will put these strict rules in and i will say the rules are always good they're there for a reason and but they can particularly when you're a junior and you're just like i've just written some code it works why won't it pass the tests <laughs> oh my what i've got the Oh my god! I've got space in the wrong place. It can be really, really frustrating, and I can completely understand that. But it's something that you have to, you know, fight through. But yeah, mm. yeah. So I, yeah, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Really, yeah. no, that's good. It's good. <laughs> this is a little therapy session. Yeah, it's nice. Um, it's not. It's often not free either. In both time to set up and like the cost of running something. Things like Netlify are good because they're free for small developers. But if you're running an agency and you want to have like a whole load of clients and you want decent CI setup for that, that is another monthly software as a service subscription cost that you have to account for. Unless you start running it yourself and then you need to pay someone to maintain it and to run (laughs) the machines and things that you're going to pay one way or another. Yeah. But I think I would say on the whole, I moaned a little bit, but it is actually a really useful service and probably stops a lot of bad bad code going out into the world and messing everyone else's lives up um it's good that i suppose it's good that there's a pain point very close to me as opposed to getting all the way down the line and then a manager comes and tells you off (laughs) (laughs) or the code breaks because of some obscure error that the linting would have caught (laughs) yeah 
yeah. I think we, we've just, that's a little microcosm of an early, a developer's early career, isn't it? As you start <laughs> off, you find all this process frustrating and aggravating. It's another thing to learn. It's another obstacle between you doing what you love, which is writing code that works. Um, and it's been an obstacle between you and that code existing and being deployed. But eventually you come to discover that, oh, no, it is worth it. And you do, there is a benefit to all this process. And there's a reason things are done like this. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Tom? I didn't want to cut you off. Like, uh, <laughs> like I don't know. Time. I think, I think last, last week's end of episode was the best one we've had yet. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks a lot for listening. <laughs> no, I think, I think that uh, definitely is all that I have to say on the pipelines for now. Um, I'm sure we might get some questions and f- feedback about this one. Um, I think we've covered all the points. Yeah. And if you're learning, don't get too worried if you don't understand it all. Um, just be aware of it. Maybe have a look on Netlify, see what that does, would be my suggestion. Yeah, and get your get your teammates to talk you through it when you first start. If you if there's bits that you're stuck on, ask. I was a bit afraid to ask when I started. I thought it was like something you needed to know already, but people realise, don't worry, just ask, because yeah. it would have been different if you were coming from a different developer job. It would have been completely different anyway, so just make sure you get that. I would write it down as well, um, make notes on exactly what you need to do. And if you're in a place where you're deploying regularly, it's the kind of thing you build up muscle memory for. And yeah. you you don't it's an it's a an achievable goal to master this stuff. So don't don't be disheartened. Yeah, but it can look a bit like uh, can look like a big mountain uh, when you first see it, but I think it's easily overcome. Thanks a lot for listening. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev where you can find all our contact details and ways to subscribe and past episodes and all that kind of good stuff. Yep. As usual, make sure you're telling anyone that you know that's learning to develop about our podcast. We'd love to help as many people as possible. And be sure to write in with your own questions as well. They give us a lot to talk about and make sure that what we're saying is current and relevant. Hmm. See you next time. Bye. Bye.